Lord's book of Samuel is where we're at this morning. And we are going to pick up in chapter 2 at verse 12. Now, if you were at the revival, you saw that we spent some time in touched 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, some Kings and Chronicles. And that was kind of the area in time that we were throughout the chronology of the Bible. Um, and we're going to go back and we're going to look at when Samuel was a little boy. And we may stay in this for a few weeks. I'm, I'm praying about that right now. But uh, looking at the life of Samuel, Samuel. But this, as I was reading and studying, this kind of jumped out at me throughout this week. Um, and I couldn't... I couldn't put it aside. So uh, chapter 2, verse 12, the context is this. Samuel was, you know, the, that guy that anointed David, King David at some point. Um, but Samuel was just given over from his mother, Hannah, right? And that's a typical Mother's Day sermon. And... Hannah gives her child over, dedicates him to Eli, the priest, right? The, one of the big head honcho priests around, who is directly in the line of Kohath, who is under Levi, and it goes all the way back to Aaron, pretty much. So we see that Eli has the royal bloodlines going back to Aaron, all right? Um, as part of that high priesthood. And we see little Samuel deposited at Eli's house for Eli to raise, and Hannah gave little Samuel over in faith that he would be a great man of God one day, and God had blessed her because she couldn't have a child, and then she did have a child, when, and she promised that he would be the Lord's, and she dedicated to him uh, Samuel to the Lord, and that's where we get baby dedications from. Now, here, we're going to be introduced to kind of the adoptive family of Samuel. So that's where we are today. Verse 12 says, Now the sons of Eli were corrupt. They did not know the Lord. And the priest's custom with the people was that when any man offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come out with a three-pronged flesh hook in his hand while the meat was boiling. Then he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot, and the priest would take for himself all that the flesh hook brought up, so they did in Shiloh to all the Israelites who came there. They also burned the fat the priest's servant would come, or also before they burned the fat, the priest's servant would come and say to the man who sacrificed, Give meat for the roasting to the priest, for he will not take boiled meat from you but raw. And if the man said to him, They should really burn the fat first, then you may take as much as your heart desires, he would then answer him, No, but you must give it now, and if not, I will take it by force." Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. So, 
we're going to be looking at Eli's sons, and we're also going to be looking at Eli. Now, Eli is a fairly common name in our world today, correct? I don't think we have any Eli's in here today, but Eli is one of those names that, that people hear, and they think, that's a biblical name, that's a godly name. But it's not necessarily one of the names that you would probably want to name your kid. And I got a friend whose son, has a, his name is Eli, and I'm going to have to razz him about that. But, uh, and some of y'all know him. But anyway, Eli was the dad, and these boys were corrupt. Uh, and the first thing I want to talk about is the corruption of the sons. Man, what's it mean to be corrupt? It means tainted, right? It means impure. It means not holy. But we have here the sons of the priest, one of the head priests in the land, God's priest, and these sons are corrupt. And you heard what they did. They would send servants, their servants, to people who were given offerings. Now, let's look at Shiloh, and let's just step back a little bit. Shiloh, this is before there was a temple. Remember back in Moses' day, they set up the tabernacle, the big tent, and that was basically the temple? Well, that tent was set up at Shiloh, and the priests were there, and they were outside, and they were ministering at that tent, in that tent, and around that tent for the Lord. And people would come and they would bring sacrifices. And when someone brought a sacrifice, they would kill that sacrifice and they would hand over the animal to the priests who then would butcher it, boil it, all that kind of stuff. And it was common... It was to be done through the book of Leviticus that you would see that a portion, and the book of Exodus describes this, a portion of that animal would be set aside and dedicated to the Levitical priesthood. A shoulder roast is basically what was called for. So out of every goat that was offered or every bull or ram that was offered, the shoulder roast would go to the priests. And then some of the other meat would be boiled and some of it would be taken and the fat would be separated and they would put the fat on the grill and they'd have T-bones and ribeyes and that kind of stuff. And these guys would take a big old fork. Y'all know those big old, I should have brought one with me. The big old meat forks that would, you would use on a grill and they would take one of them while that meat was boiling in a pot and they would, they would reach down in there and they would pull off this big old piece. Now keep in mind, they already got the shoulder. That was set aside for them. And now they're just going in, taking extra. They were doing that. And then you saw how they were just bullies. They were thugs. The corruption around the priesthood was so bad that they would just bully people. And these people, you'd have this, this little old couple showing up 
And the man is presenting his, his sheep offering or his lamb, and he's bringing it before the Lord. And they would do all this at the tent of meeting, right in the gate of the tent. Not in the tent, but at the gate of the tent, the threshold. And that man would slaughter his lamb. And it would die. And the priest would take it and they would butcher it up. And that man would take the pieces that the priest was divvying up. And he would take them and give them to the priest as the offering to God. But these priests... They were like, that, that piece is never going to see the altar because it's going home to my house. I'm going to take that. I'm going to keep that. That's my cut. It's no longer your offering before God, but it's going to me. And the guy would say, no. Put it on the altar. Burn it up. Then, then take it. Then keep it. I don't care what you do. But that is my offering to the Lord and you're going to rob me of that. And those priests robbed people of their offerings and of their sacrifices so that they could get an extra portion. Now, if you read your Bible, this is the time of Ruth and Judges that this has taken place in. This is probably toward the middle to the end of the book of Judges. Those are the contemporaries that you would read about. What do you know about those times? There was famine in the land. People in other countries were coming in, and when the crops were growing, they were stealing the crops. That's what we read about throughout Judges. It's what you see in the book of Ruth. There were issues, there were famines, there were raiders around, and these priests, they're going to make sure they get their bellies full, and they're abusing their power and their authority, and they are just corrupted all the way through. What's interesting is that they grew up in church. I want you to think of this. They were in church and around church and watched their father perform religious ceremonies and all this stuff as, as the priest of Israel. They saw that up close with their own eyes. And I believe they got so familiar with it that the holiness of it all and the worship of it all disappeared and it became a means to an end of getting what they want. we got to be careful of that in life. Sometimes we, as a preacher, as a pastor, I know that if I'm not careful, I'm going to abuse privilege that I have. I'm going to take advantage of whatever in life because of my role. I could push an agenda within a church and just do it and make it my own agenda just because that's what I want and that's what I prefer. But if I'm doing that outside of the will of God, then that's wrong. That's an issue. There are some denominations out there where the pastor will take a look 
at your W-2s or your pay stub, and they'll tell you how much you should be giving each month. Taking that power that they have, twisting scripture, saying this is what you ought to be giving and this is what I expect. Otherwise, you're not in good standing with the church. Abusing their power. I'll tell you what, those, <laughs> it's funny that I made the announcement. Your contribution statements, I don't know whose are in there. I don't know what numbers are on there. I don't ever want to know. I've never asked a secretary about what people give, who gives what, this, that, and the other. That's between you and the Lord. That's none of my business. I don't ever want to know. I will never ask. Now, what I will tell you is that these guys that were corrupt, they were involved in everything that came through that temple. They had their hands on it all, and they wanted to control it. And they didn't care about the outcome. And do you notice that they caused people, other people in Israel to abhor or hate to bring sacrifice? Look at that verse again. Verse 17. Therefore, the sin of the young men was very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. People got to the point where they said, it doesn't make any sense for me to make the journey to Shiloh, which may take two to three to five to seven days to get there, to present their offering, to only have it stolen and never go to the Lord. These guys realized the offering that I want to go to the Lord is going to these guys. These greedy folks who are going to grab it, snatch it, keep it for themselves. People began hating that. What's the use? Have you ever felt like in your life you've dedicated time, you've carved out time on a Sunday, on a Wednesday, whatever it is, and you said, I'm going to go to church and I want to, I want to be around God's people and this, that, and the other, and you get there and you feel like, huh, why did I even go? Nobody talks to me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody's concerned about me. Nobody, you know, and this, that, and the other. Just wasting my time. May that never be so here. I pray that, that if you're a part of this body of believers and you see someone sitting off to the side, dejected, alone, whatever, you'll be the first person to run to them. You'll be the first person to say, hey, how you doing? Can I pray for you? Well, preacher, that ain't my thing. Well, Christianity ain't your thing probably either. That's just tough. But go and pray with that person. Talk to that person. Be a friend. Be a brother or a sister to that person. Don't let corruption seep in. So what ends up happening? These guys are as corrupt as could be. But let me just stop here. There's corruption in the house of God with these two. But let me just bring hope. Because their dad 
is the high priest of God, right? Their dad is the priest. He's going to set things straight. And we're going to see in these next verses to come, he's going to call them to the carpet and be the man of God that he ought to be, right? Because isn't that what we should be doing as parents? We see our kids go astray. They may be six years old. They may be 16 years old. They may be 60 years old. And we are there as parents to help guide them in the right way. Oh, that's exactly what Eli does, right? Some of y'all know the story. Let's look at what Eli says. Go to verse 22. Now Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle meeting. So he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. No, my sons, for it is not good, for it is not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father because the Lord desired to kill them. Wow. Eli says, boys, come here. Hophni, Phineas, that's their names. Come here. I need to talk to y'all. What you're doing is wrong. What you're doing should not be done. What you're doing, I, I hear about it and it's terrible. And you're causing the people to sin against God because of their offerings. And their offerings are never facing the altar. The people are giving it up and y'all are snatching it away. You're robbing them of the blessings. You're robbing them of worship. So what does Eli do? He gives them a stern talking to. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? He tells them, I know y'all are doing wrong, but y'all are adults. So do what you're going to do. These two... Going back to the first verse that we read, they did not know the Lord. And that's the biggest problem. They didn't know the Lord. And Eli is talking to them as though they have some kind of moral compass that is going to lead them in the right direction. But they don't know the Lord. They, they are incapable of that. Eli says, y'all are doing that. It's bad. And they don't listen to him. They continue robbing people of their worship. You know what else they were doing? They were laying with the women at the temple. Did y'all catch that? That wasn't in the first part that we read. But can you imagine the wickedness of the priest to do that? Here's your ram and your goat. And oh, by the way, why don't you follow me to my tent and we'll talk about next year's offering. That's wickedness. That was taking advantage of their position of power to get what they want. And if you ever do that as a believer, you 
are wrong and you need to repent of that. You need to recalibrate that compass and follow the Lord and repent of that and turn away from that because that is absolute corruption. Old Eli, and he was, he was an old man at this point. He was in his 90s. But I'm going I'm to tell you that he was lenient with his boys. When his boys first started going astray, maybe it was four years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago. I don't know how old they are. But Eli never stepped in then. Eli didn't see what was going on. One of the big things as you read these passages is you realize Eli has a seeing problem. You go back into chapter 1 and verse 8, uh, verse 9. Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. He was around there and he was seeing what the boys would be doing. He was in their presence. Later on in, verse, in chapter 3, you see in verse 2, when it came to pass while Eli was lying down in his place and when his eyes had begun to grow dim so that he could not see. There's two things about Eli that we see throughout these, these pages about him. He's never up and he's never moving and he's going blind. And those two things, I believe, play into the corruption of his sons. Because he's always sitting or laying around whenever he's mentioned in the Bible. Every time you see him, he's sitting or laying. Parents, if you're always just sitting or laying around with your kids, whether it's literally or whether it's metaphorically... you're not training them up in the ways of the Lord, then they're going to go corrupt. They're going to head south spiritually. They're not going to follow him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Some of y'all are going to have kids one day, and you don't have them right now. But if your focus isn't on the word of God and isn't on your children knowing God, they are going to grow up and be corrupt. And they're going to be separated from the Father eternally in hell. That's what happens when you don't know Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord. That's what happens when you don't know the Lord. It breaks my heart to think that Eli, who other than his sons and in his family, was a pretty good fella but he's going to reap what he sows with his sons. Never once is he up and instructing them. Never once after he reprimands does he say, boys, y'all are done. He had every right as the priest of Israel to say, I know what you boys are doing. It's been reported to me. Y'all better straighten up. He could have said, you are 
done. Don't go back near the temple. I don't want you around the temple. I want you on the other side of the camp because I don't want to see your face around here. We'll fix the relationship in our family later. But as far as now, between you and the people of Israel as their priests, you are done. Every right he had to say that, but he didn't. Why? Because he revered his sons. And Eli had this problem going in his heart. He loved his sons more than he loved the Lord. That's a problem in Christianity today. We can fill churches up on Sundays and all that kind of stuff, but there are lots of folks who idolize their children and put them above the Lord. Can idolize anything and put them above the Lord. But Eli's idols were his boys. He loved them, but he didn't love them enough to discipline them when they needed it. He was too busy sitting around, laying around to do what he needed to do with them to guide them in the way that they should go. And I'm going to throw this out there about Eli. I believe Eli was guilty by association with them because Eli is going to get, and, and we'll get into it in a minute, but Eli is going to get a prophecy from a man of God that's going to show up. And he's going to say to Eli, the Lord knows what's been going on with you. The Lord knows what's been going on with your children. And we're going to dive into that right now. Verse 22, chapter 2. Now Eli was very old and he heard everything his sons did. We said all that. I'm sorry, we're going to pick up in verse 29. The man of God came to him and said, Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offerings, which I have commanded in my dwelling place, and honor your sons more than me, to make yourselves fat with the best of the offerings of Israel, my people? God calls out Eli and said, y'all are getting fat while the people of Israel are starving spiritually because they're coming, they want to worship me, and you're robbing them of that. Eli was literally obese. He was stealing from the people and eating, and you notice that God included him in that. Eli is eating and getting fat off of the racket that his sons are putting out there. His sons are corrupt, and he's the beneficiary of it. Man. When you have a son, it sounds almost like our nation today. When the son is corrupt, and the father's getting rich off of it, there's a chance to bring down the whole nation. We've got that right here. Now, Eli, who is God's priest, and you see it later in this book, God refers to him as his priest. He didn't totally disown him. That man comes and he says, Now, this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons on Hophni and Phinehas, 
This is verse 34. In one day they shall die, both of them. This man of God says, you know, here's what's coming down the pike for you. Your sons that you've put above me, that you honor more than me, they will both die, and it's going to be in the same day. And that is going to be your punishment. As a dad, Eli is not real thrilled at this. And I would hope that as a, as a pastor of the nation of Israel, Eli would be thinking, oh, I don't know if they know the Lord. This needs to be my time to emphasize to know him. This needs to be the time where I reach out to my sons and I beg them and I plead with them and I ask them to, to, to just give God the glory and to know the Lord and to lead them to the only one that can save them. You would think this would be that time. But we don't ever see that happen. Uh-oh. Parents, the most important thing that you can do is to know that your children know the Lord. That is the only thing you should be worried about until that happens. And when it does happen, then your focus needs to be, may they grow closer to you, Father. May they have a deeper and a richer understanding with you. Because if they're not believers, if they're not saved, then they're excluded from heaven. And they enter the lake of sulfur and fire where there's burning and gnashing of their teeth. And they will be separated from eternal life forever. But in Christ... They will be received at the table of the Lord for eternal glory. In eternal glory. Around eternal glory. Being co-heirs with Christ to all the kingdom. Make sure you know that your child is on the right path to salvation. And once they're saved... It's not a one and done. Make sure that you are nurturing and watering that relationship as a parent. And don't be like Eli. We're going to look at Eli here again. Eli, you guys know the story of Samuel, who is going to hear from God. He hears from God three times and then he gets up. And Samuel goes out to Eli and says, I keep hearing from the Lord. And Eli says, that is the Lord. Going back in bed and tell him, here I am. What do you want to say? And God speaks to a little boy because his priest is too numb and too dumb to listen to him. Oh, 
Y'all, this, this, is, this is the part that really breaks my heart preaching today. Because in some of your households, you may be too numb and dumb to the Spirit and what He's saying to you, and you're not hearing it, and God's going to put someone in your path to say it. This guy. Don't let this be your home. Don't make God have to speak to your 12-year-old boy or your 7-year-old girl to give you a message. Because if you were connected rightly with him, he ought to be able to give it to you. So Eli gets this message from, I mean, yeah, Samuel gets this message from God. And you know what it is? Eli's done. His line is done. His family's done. Samuel gets up. Eli says to him, so what did the Lord say to you last night? And what Samuel say? He gives it to him straight. Doesn't sugarcoat it. Doesn't avoid the situation. Doesn't avoid the topic. Says, Eli, it's over. Now, Phineas, one of the sons, had a wife that was pregnant. Phineas and Hophni, because there is some turmoil with some of the enemy city-states around them, they're getting ready to go out to battle. And you know what they do? They say, we're going to war. We are the high priest's sons. We are going to carry the Ark of the Covenant into battle with us, and we are going to win because God's on our side. Isn't that just sad? Like the reality that these two are living in? Because they're unbelievers and they think that they have the blessings and the benefits of God. Those are like the folks that are lost as could be in this world, but they wear the little cross around their neck and people go, oh, he must be a Christian. She must be a good Christian woman. Just because they got a cross on their, on their neck or on the butt of their jeans on their pocket or something. Oh, they got them good Christian jeans on. No. God could have wanted to. He could have and was willing to lead Hophni and Phinehas into his goodness, into his righteousness, to lead the nation of Israel to truly worship him. But these guys didn't know the Lord. And they couldn't. And their salvation, or lack thereof, was on them. And now God is looking at them and he's saying, and now it's my pleasure to take them out. Because they've had ample opportunity to bend the knee. Right here, they take the Ark of the Covenant out to battle. The enemy wins. The Ark of God is stolen Hophni and Phinehas both die that day. And then we have chapter 4. 
Verse 12. Then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day, came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. Now when he came there, there was Eli sitting on a, on a seat, once again sitting around by the wayside, watching. Everybody talks about how he's blind, but even on his last day, he could still see. Don't take blindness as an excuse. Physical blindness. He was spiritually blinded as well. He was watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, What does the sound of this tumult mean? And the man quickly came and told Eli. Eli was 98 years old, and his eyes were so dim that he couldn't see. Then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle, and I fled today from the battle. And he said, what happened to my son? He doesn't even name both of them. He says, my son. So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead and the, ark of the, and the ark of God has been captured. Then it happened when he made mention of the ark of God that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate and his neck was broken and he died. For the man was old and heavy and he judged Israel 40 years. Notice it talks about he was old he had his time there. He had his chance to sway Israel in the way of the Lord. But under his reign and under his tutelage as high priest, Israel was going astray. The priesthood was going astray. And there, off of that chair, he fell on the ground, broke his neck, fattened, from the offerings that were meant from the Lord that he was getting his cut of. Don't let the smallest amount of seed of corruption into your life, into your family. When you see it there, snuff it out, stomp it out, pluck it out, do what you need to do. Jesus references it is better to go into eternal life without an eye, without a hand, than into hell with your entire body. Let's learn from Hophni and Phinehas and Eli and understand that while we allow corruption in, it's going to rob us. And you know what corruption brings? More corruption. You know what God's punishment is oftentimes in your life for sin? More sin. And then you reap the consequences of the more sin.